You know, last week we looked at a lesson entitled, uh, How Does a Christian Stay Saved? And in it, we emphasized over and over that the scriptures teach certain things. We noted, uh, first of all, it is possible to be lost even after becoming a Christian and gave you several scriptures, Revelation 2.10, 2 Timothy, the fourth chapter, verse 6 through 8, 2 Peter 1 through 10, even gave examples such as Demas and Paul himself, the realization that he had in 1 Corinthians 9, 27, he could be lost. The Galatians who were lost and uh, some fallen from grace over and over. And then we noted that since it is possible that one can be lost, we could know or ask the question, can we know with certainty that you are saved? And noted that life is not going through just saying, I hope and maybe and suppose but rather, God tells us, 1 John 5, verse 13, these things are written that you might know you have eternal life and emphasized that God's word gives us the ability to examine ourselves whether we be in the faith, 2 Corinthians 13, 5. And noting that if we find we are not, we need to make some changes. And that took us to God's second law of pardon. In becoming a Christian, we noted that uh, we needed the blood of Christ, Matthew 26, uh, Matthew the 26th chapter we find in verse 26 to 28 that the blood was shed for remission of sins Acts 2:38. you're baptized for remission of sins in Romans the 6th chapter you find that you're baptized into his death it is then that we have contact with the blood of Christ but since it is possible for a Christian to sin and be lost we ask the question whenever I sin what do I need to do do I need to be baptized again the answer was a resounding no the fact is we find a, a second law of pardon, and we noted that was given in 1 John 1 and verse 7 through 9, where we are to walk in the light. We emphasize that this meant to walk in accordance with the word of God, Psalm 119, verse 105. And whenever I do that, I will have constant access to the blood of Christ. So whenever we sin, we do, what do we do? We're lost forever, no. The promise in verse 9, connected with that constant access in verse 7, was that if we are penitent, we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we noted and summed up these three things are involved in God's second law of pardon. Repentance, confession of that sin, and prayer for forgiveness. And even look to a beautiful example in Acts the 8th chapter of Simon, who had sinned, he had followed along, obviously following God, following the apostles, following Peter, and yet he was tempted and we noted fell back into an old way. He thought of those things and he sought to purchase the gift of God as he saw the laying on of the apostles' hands was able to communicate that gift. So what did he, what was he told to do? Repent and pray that the very thought of his heart might be forgiven. So there was an example of one who uh, was baptized, who was walking in the light, but he sinned, and he had to repent and pray that he might be forgiven. We then examined walking in the light, that it was uh, more than just an intent. It was a summation statement of obeying the New Testament, and we gave several examples of that. The whole duty of man is to fear God and keep his commandments. So you look and you find we were very plain on that and ended with saying it is a promise to the faithful. Now, with that in mind, what if 
we find a contradictory teaching. Here's a very simple plan. God's second law of pardon. If you as a child of God sin, you are to have godly sorrow, Paul would add in 2 Corinthians the 7th chapter, and you are to let that godly sorrow lead you to repentance. And it is then that your sins are forgiven. So what if somebody teaches something else? How do I know which is true? Well, remember the first lesson we gave passage after passage after passage affirming each point. And that's important because that's what we are to do. Matthew, the 28th chapter, verse 18 through 20, God sent his son. His son came willingly. And he said in verse 18, he has been given all power in heaven and earth. And he said, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. The book of Acts, they were led by the Spirit. They began to speak as the Spirit gave them utterance. And thus they had that word. Jesus had promised in John 8 and verse 32, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. So that truth is knowable. First John 5, 3, it is a doable. John 8 and verse 31, he said, if you continue in these things, First John 5 and verse 3, he says these things are not grievous. Second Timothy, the fourth chapter, in verse 1 and 2, the apostle exhorted Timothy, preach the word. I mean, that's what you do. Whenever a struggle, trials began in the Corinthian church, 1 Corinthians 1 and 10, how do you resolve those differences? Be the same mind, speak the same thing, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. Go to the word. So thankfully, since God's word is truth, John the 17th chapter, it is knowable, John the 8th chapter, it is doable, 1 John 5 and verse 3. I have the ability, Acts 17 and verse 11, to search the scriptures whether these things are so. Now, at, at this point, that's what we're going to do. And I want to say in one sense, I'm sorry. If you're not a member of the church and you're here, I'm sorry you have to even hear this lesson. But again, I rejoice that you're able to hear it because it affirms what we have pointed out over and over and I point out over and over. I don't care who it is, me, anybody else in the pulpit, some well-known preacher throughout the world, the standard is God's word. And we cannot be selective on who we examine and make demands that they preach that word. What's at stake is our soul. I hate to deal with matters like this. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at Jude, the heartbroken preacher wanted to preach to the common salvation. I'd love to do that. But there are times whenever it becomes needful that you earnestly contend for the faith. And that means you have to stand for the truth and point out the error. And there is another lesson that is preached, and it's one that is gaining grace. It's nothing new. I, I fought as well as the elders at that time and members of this congregation at that time, the battle over the justification sanctification is what it was called then using Romans 8 chapter and verse 1 there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ and that means you're justified when you become a Christian do you sin yeah but you're not lost you mess up your sanctification but you're still justified that was error then it's error now no matter what name you give to it but it's raised its head again 
been around, but at times it becomes prominent and on our doorstep, and the elders agree that this has to be addressed. We do not want false doctrine of any sort to take hold in this congregation or any. And thus, in keeping with the mandate in Acts, the 20th chapter, we take heed to the flock, to feed the flock. That means we make sure the feed is pure that is coming forth. And so doctrines are taught, and they have to be confronted. And that doctrine is called continual cleansing. Maybe you've heard about it. It's in the area. There are people who are defending it online, and... Uh, you need to simply do what God said, what we're going to do today, examine the scriptures, whether these things are so. But I'm going to do it in comparison with the lesson we looked at last week, which was supported by scripture. So we consider this, and we go through it, for example, and say, okay, is it possible for a child of God, for a Christian, to be lost? Well, remember last week, we, we looked and saw yes, and gave many examples this doctrine says that continual cleansing is there. And it uses 1 John 1, 7. We're going to look at that in a moment. You have the blood of Christ that cleanses us. Present tense. Always cleansing you from sin. And we'll address that again in a minute. But the man who preaches this lesson on continual cleansing says, Can you commit sin? Yes. But it is never marked up against you. It is never put to your account. There is no condemnation to you who are in Christ. And he uses Romans 8.1 and Romans 4.8 to emphasize those points. Now let me ask you, who is this speaking of? There is no condemnation or these things are not imputed to you. Who is it? Well, obviously it is not the person we referred to in the first lesson. It is not Simon. Because Peter told him, you're guilty of sin. You need to repent and pray that the very thought of your heart might be forgiven. It is not Paul, 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 through 8. Because he saw that he was justified, as we pointed out last week. Whenever he was ready to be offered, why? He'd fought a good fight. He'd kept the faith. He'd finished his course. He was a man who saw that it was an act of faith that enabled him to have this. It is not the Galatians that we used last week. They had fallen from grace. It wasn't Demas. He wasn't constantly cleansed. 2 Timothy 4 and verse 10, you find that he had been condemned because he had forsaken those things. It wasn't Paul. He knew in 1 Corinthians 9 and verse 27, if he did not keep under his body, he himself could be a castaway. There was no continual cleansing in his mind. Now you look and you realize in this second lesson these are never referred to those examples are never given and of course why would you if it contradicts what you're teaching i don't want to put out passages that contradict what i just said no sin is counted against you i cannot refer to simon to paul to galatians to demas but i can say and this man used the example you know don't worry about you don't need to worry about being lost. And he said, here's the example. Here's a man. He obeys the gospel. 20 years old. 30 years old. 40 years old. And I think he goes all the way up to 80. And he says, this man dies. 
And he says, he has never had a sin counted against him. Never? No sin ever counted against him? Well, that isn't what we saw according to the scriptures. That again, this man wasn't Simon or Paul or Galatians, Demas. Who is it? Well, it's a figment of this man's imagination. You know, this man, even in his lesson, it's a lesson in which he goes through 1 John. And in the second chapter, in the first chapter, he talks about you can have this confidence of salvation because you have conditional cleansing, or constant cleansing, in other words. You're always there. It's just washed away. And then in chapter 2, he says perfect propitiation. And he uses an example and refers back to constant cleansing. It ties all of it back to the first chapter of constant cleansing. But in the second chapter, I mean, here, here shows you what happens whenever you get so convoluted in your teaching and you support error. It's hard to remain consistent. In the second chapter, he says you have perfect propitiation. And the example he gives, he was traveling through a state. He uh, came to a red light and he turned right. Well, he hadn't from that state. And so a policeman pulled him over and said, you turn right on red, you can't do that. And he said, I'm sorry, I didn't know that. And the policeman said, well, here's your ticket. And he says, I learned in that state, you can get a lawyer and you can go before the judge and you can plead your case. So he gives the example. I went before the judge and I told him, you know, I am guilty of that. And what I want to do is pay my fine and I don't want you to put that on my record. And so he, as he confessed what he had done and he pleaded with the judge and he asked that it not be put on his record, he says, the judge said, okay. And he says, that's an example of constant cleansing. I'm sorry, but it's not. That's an example of the second law of pardon. You repent and pray. You go before the judge. I'm sorry I did this. I asked for forgiveness. I don't want it against my record. And the judge says, because of the advocate you have with him, which is Jesus Christ in 1 first, in first John 2, he says, okay, I, I free you from the penalty. If it was constant cleansing, he would have gone before the judge and he would have said, judge, I am sorry I read the lie. I read that or I ran that light. The judge would have looked on the record and said, I don't know what you're talking about. There is nothing, no record of you ever doing that. Constant cleansing. He was forgiven as soon as he read that, ran that light. In his example, he, of course, fails to show that. Like I said, convoluted teaching, hard to remain consistent. And then the question, how can I know with certainty then that I'm saved? Well, in the first lesson, we pointed out, rightly so, there is a second law of pardon. And we emphasized it is not without effort on your part. Second Corinthians, the 13th chapter, and verse 5, you are to examine yourself. You know, you look and you find throughout the scriptures, take heed, examine, prove, test, try. The warning, the devil is there as a roaring lion. Be sober, be vigilant. But in this, you find that these people, instead of looking to the Bible, they say, 
You never were lost. You never had a sin counted against you. How do you know you're saved? Because God said there is no condemnation, no sin, and this is emphasized over and over and over. No sin is ever counted against you. It is never marked up against you. Well, people hear that, and they say, well, no, you're taking it wrong. This person preaches repentance. Because if you ask it throughout this lesson, he'll say, well, it is not without condition. You know, you need to repent. My question is, if you ask him, do you preach repentance? And he says, yes. A man told me that. He said, I called him and asked him. He said, yeah, I preach repentance. I told him, I said, that's the wrong question. I said, call him back and ask him where forgiveness is in regards to repentance. God has clearly said, except you repent, Luke 13, 3 and 5, you shall likewise perish. Peter told Simon, repent and pray to God that the very thought of your heart might be forgiven. Forgiveness, according to the scriptures as noted in our first lesson, comes after repentance. Not before, but this man, he teaches that it is there before. But obviously, it has nothing to do with salvation because the person is already forgiven. They are constantly cleansed. I can show you, as a matter of fact, you can go on our website and look under the section on articles and outlines, and you'll find a lesson on the Baptist teaching, Baptist doctrine versus the Bible. And you'll find in there quotations where they will tell you baptism has nothing whatsoever to do with salvation. But then they say, the same man in the Baptist organization, organization will say, do you need to be baptized? Oh, yes. You know, after you're saved, you need to be baptized in order to be obedient. You look at the Baptist teaching, you say, that's idiotic. Why is it idiotic whenever it deals with baptism? Because they get the order backwards. And yet, a member of the church changes the order. Oh, isn't that great? No, it's error. It's a lie. You do not have the right, I don't have the right to change the word of God. God tells us, as we noted in the first lesson, the second law of pardon, repent, confess, and pray, 1 John 1, verse 7 through 9, and we emphasize that is when you contact the blood of Christ. If that's true, then salvation before that would be without the blood of Christ. Well, of course, whenever you start changing what the phrase in 1 John 1 and verse 7, and we will note this more in a moment, then you can do anything. It's like studying with Jehovah's Witnesses. I mean, if you're going to start changing Jeho the, the definitions, you can uphold any point. But if you're going to stick with God, what God says, there's only one truth. You look and you find, let me ask some questions. In conditional cleansing, you never have a sin counted against you. It is, as soon as you sin, it is done away with. What am I repenting of? If I am forgiven, what am I repenting of? You know what forgiveness is? Hebrews, the 8th chapter and verse 10, Hebrews, the, or 12, uh, Hebrews, the 10th chapter and verse 17, 
This is a covenant I will make with you. Your sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Now let me ask you, if, if repentance is essential, I have been constantly cleansed. So I'm going along after that. I don't worry. They emphasize, God doesn't want you to worry. I go along, but I'm supposed to repent. You know, I still preach repentance. How long do I have? A day? A week? A year? There's no answer. And so, do I trust God? Can God lie? I say no, Titus 1 and verse 2. This doctrine has to say, yes, he does. Because Hebrews, the 8th and 10th chapter, tells us that sins and iniquities are remembered no more. But this doctrine, if I don't repent at some future date, God's going to bring it back up. He's going to renege on his promise that my sins are forgiven. Brethren, that's a lie. That is ungodly. That is charging God himself with lying. I'll remember it no more, but by the way, I'm going to keep it here. And if you don't repent at some future date, I'm going to bring it back up. This fellow needs to make up his mind. Does he trust in God? Does he have confidence? I do. 1 John 1, verse 7 through 9, the blood is there. I sin, and I'm going to. And God is faithful. I know as I search the scriptures and I see my life and I bring these things forth to him that he's going to forgive me. It seems in this one, it's really the luck of the draw. Whether you, as you're walking in the light, as they say, I have this general intent, I desire to be saved, and I go on. It's the luck of the draw that God's not going to condemn you because you haven't repented at some unknown time. If repentance is essential, yeah, I preach repentance. Then am I going to be lost if I don't? And at what point? Oh, no. Luck of the draw. And by the way, that's the phrase this man uses whenever I stand and preach the plan of salvation. And then if you sin, there's a second law of pardon. He says it's just the luck of the draw whether you're going to repent in time. Well, he got the same problem. But it's not the luck of the draw. It's living, walking in the light, that is examining myself, which is not that difficult. He points it out in the it's pointed out in the first lesson. It's not that difficult. The scriptures aren't, you know, it's not like God set traps. He wants us to be, he wants us to be saved. How much? He gave his son. So he gave us a word we can know. He gave us a word we can study. This doctrine says, don't worry, don't study. No, oh, you got to study. Why? You know, one precious woman I know, she listened to this lesson and another who taught it. And she said, you know, I have to ask if that's so. Why do I try so hard? This doctrine leads to utter complacency. Paul warned against that. 1 Corinthians, the 10th chapter and verse 12, let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. In verse 13, you know, God's going to provide you a way of escape. What is it? Well, in this instance, the second law of pardon. How do I find it? Well, 
God's Word says, but if I don't want to stay with God's Word, I make up a new doctrine of constant cleansing and put myself right into the luck of the draw if I'm going to involve repentance. And what that repentance is, I have no idea. Because repentance is brought about by godly sorrow, 2 Corinthians 7, because I've been convicted of sin, but I don't have sin. I'm not supposed to have this sorrow, this worry. I'm, I, I'm at a loss. But then, do I need the second law of pardon? Now, the, what I mean here is how do I have access to the blood of Christ? Because the first lesson we looked at, and we pointed out with Scripture over and over, you need the blood of Christ to become a Christian. You need the blood of Christ whenever, as a Christian, you sin. So what do I do? Well, in the first lesson, we pointed out in 1 John 1 and verse 7, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what happens with the blood? We're, he cleanses us from all sin. Present tense. What does that mean? It says you always have access to it. How do you get to it? In the first lesson we pointed out, in keeping with the context, the second law of pardon, verse 9, if you confess your, I mean, you have to have help to not understand that. The blood is there, but I sin. What do I do? Verse 9, if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins, cleanse you from all unrighteousness. That is the way we pointed out that you reach the blood of Christ. In constant cleansing, all of a sudden, verse 7 changes. It's not I have access to the blood, as verse 9, I repent and pray, but it is constantly washing away my sins. The illustration is given. You drive down the road. Rain, you see rain ahead. You turn on your wipers. Here is the windshield. Here comes the sin. The sin wiped away. I mean, it, it's you sin, it's wiped. You sin, it's wiped. You sin, it's wiped. That's not an access matter. He, the, the lesson in the first one, you always have access to it. And that's held up by context. The second lesson we're looking at here, constant cleansing, says immediately, as soon as you say, it's never counted to your account. It is never marked up against you. There's no condemnation. Why? Because that wiper is going, 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 going. Those are two different doctrines. They can't be the same. Which one is true? Which one is supported by Scripture? Well, the second law of pardon we looked at is taught in 1 John 1, verse 7 through 9, illustrated in Acts 8, chapter you know, poor Peter, he was dumb as, a, dumb as a rock. He didn't know Simon's sins had already been forgiven. You need to repent and pray that the very thought of your heart might be forgiven. And then Paul, he approached Peter and said, you know, you're to be blamed. He confronted him to the face because he is to be blamed. Why? He was guilty of sin, hypocrisy. Brother, that is unbelievable that somebody would teach such a foolish, ungodly, unscriptural doctrine. The second law of pardon that we looked at in the first lesson is never referred to in the constant cleansing. The idea that you have to repent and pray, you know, three things there. Repent, confess, and pray. That's not necessary anymore. 
because you're constantly cleansed. And as we noted, those examples, of course, would never be mentioned. And then what is walking in the light? Well, in last week's lesson, we noted, uh, supported by Scripture, that this means to simply do what God has said. Ecclesiastes 12, 13, fear God, keep his commandments. This is a whole duty of man. Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet, a light unto my path. It is to walk in accordance with his word. In the second lesson, it is, I want to go heaven. I'm just trying my best. Brother, that's denominational. Denominational doctrine is, you know, I want to go to heaven. I'm just trying my best. I'm not guilty of sin. Sinning and in, in walking the light, sin is included. And it is just, you stay in the light because you sin and just wipe away, wipe away, wipe away. Walking the light, this change is meant to say you don't worry. You know, one man who preaches this, he even says, if you worry about your salvation, you are, and I can't remember his words, but basically you're impugning God because he told you you were constantly being cleansed. And basically, how dare you bring up sin in your life? How dare you think you've sinned? Because God has constantly cleansed you. I, I don't want you to worry, but I want you to be wary. Why? Because God said so. Jesus said the way to eternal life is a narrow way. You know, I, I can drive across the parking lot, and I can just, you know, I've taught my kids, many of kids been taught to drive on the parking lot. Why? Because you can drive around, you don't have to, you just learn basic control. But you get out on the road, do you just drive like you did on the parking lot? Or do you look and say, here's a lane I need to be in. My life, the life of others can count on this, so I need to be wary. Jesus said, going to heaven is a narrow way. Paul said, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. He says, if you continue in these things. I mean, life is there, the devil's there, and God said, be sober, be vigilant. Does that mean I go through life? Oh, I'm lost, I'm saved, I'm lost, I'm saved. They, they bring up some of the most idiotic statements. A man becomes a Christian, he's lost, he's saved, he's lost, he's saved. I don't know who that man is. Maybe that's the way this man lived. I don't know anybody who lived like that. But the fact is, I go through life with the realization I can be lost. I drive because I know I can go in the ditch. I know I can hit that bridge abutment. I know that car in front of me can stop. I'm wary. God says that's the life we live. Cognizant of the fact the devil's there, he says, be sober, be vigilant. Do you worry yourself sick? I'm lost. No, because you look, you examine yourself. And whenever you try the spirits, whenever you look to the scriptures, you see something wrong, you repent. That's what the first lesson emphasized with scriptures. This second lesson, I have no idea. It's just ungodly. You know, you think about this. It's, you know, these, these all can't be true. You know, in the, in the first lesson, you know what, what is uh, the idea? Can a Christian fall? First lesson, yes. Second lesson, you're never condemned. There's no sin ever counted against you. How do you reach the blood? In the first lesson, 
we find it's the second law of pardon, illustrated in 1 John 1, 7 through 9. The second lesson, the blood is just flowing. It's like going through a car wash eternally. It's just always being washed off. You find that the idea, do I have confidence? Yes. The first lesson, scripturally, 2 Corinthians 13, 5, I examine myself, and I repent if I find an error. The second lesson, I have confidence because constant cleansing. The blood has always washed me away. So if I have to reach the blood, what are you talking about? It's always on you. And then the first lesson, do I have confidence? Yeah, because of examination. Second lesson, don't worry. Walk in the light, do what God says. But in this lesson, it's just have a general intent. I want to go to heaven. Everything's going to be working out. Don't worry. First lesson, scripture, yeah. Second lesson, they're noticeably absent. All of the first lesson was backed up by scripture. The second lesson brings up what about? I mean, if you talk to people, I have challenged people. They said, okay, you know, I, I believe this doctrine of constant cleansing. I said, okay, you do this. Here's an exercise. Jesus said, Matthew 28, 18 through 20, I'm to speak the things that he has commanded. Just list the scriptures. What did God say regarding a child of God who has sinned? Well, actually, you can go to the first lesson and find that. This is backed up by scripture. But whenever people who uphold constant cleansing are asked that, you know what the first response is I always get? What about? Now, they get this what about because it's in the lesson on constant cleansing. You know, you're driving along in a car, and you have a bad thought, and you wreck and die. You don't have to worry because you got constant cleansing. And they say, what about? And I give two things. Number one, I, as a Christian, am told to teach the word, Matthew 28, 18 through 20. I, as a preacher, am told to preach the word, 2 Timothy 4. I don't preach what abouts. What is? I have people come to me all the time. People come. You know, marriage, divorce, and remarriage. Very plain teaching, Matthew 19 and verse 9. You know, <laughs> marriage, one man, one woman for life. The only exception is fornication. And then the innocent party can remarry. That's summation of what it says. Go read Matthew 19.9. By the way, God's intent is you never divorce in 19.6. But there is that excuse, that occasion to give. So people come up and say, well, what about man A marries man or woman C, and she was married to man B, and their uncle was, I mean, they get all these things. I can't follow that. What do you do? God said, Matthew 19, 9. If it ain't that, it's wrong. That's what we're told to do. The church in Corinth, again, they were all messed up. I'm a Paul. I have Cephas. What do you do? Go to the Word, 1 Corinthians 1 and verse 10. We are to become as the Father and the Son, one as he and the Father are one. How? Through their Word, not what ifs. So I don't preach that. But if you want to know the 
my thoughts on a what if. Here's a man driving down the road. He has a bad thought, and he dies in a wreck. What's his condition? I'm going to leave that up to God. I don't know what went on in that man's life at the end. Now, I've given you illustrations of that. There have been two times in my life whenever I came to the realization I could be dead right here. And I guarantee you, you have no idea what went on between me and God in milliseconds. So I'm going to leave that up to God. I don't have the ability to look into that man's heart. I don't have that. It's like one man said, an old-time preacher in dealing with this, he said, I don't whittle on that end of the stick. That's God. You know, I, I, God is the one who deals with such matters, not me. But the reality is, I can give you some real-world examples. You know, this idea, you know, well, a man's going along, and he had, how do you know he had a bad thought? You know, whenever I came to on the bathroom floor, and I saw through a haze, my wife screaming at me, and then I couldn't get up, and I thought, I'm fixing to die. I guarantee you, my thoughts weren't bad. But you don't know that. I cannot do that. But what about... You know, whenever you say, I'm going to leave it up to God. Now, I told one man that. And you know how sometimes people take something, they take and run with it someplace else? Well, whenever I said that, I said, okay, here's a man who dies. Here's something I have no way of knowing anything about. I'm going to leave that up to God. Well, he has charged me with saying that even whenever I do what we spoke of in the first lesson, that you just have to leave it up to God. It's either a misrepresentation, he misunderstood, which I'm going to hope that's it, or he flat out lied in order to support his position and to condemn me. I never said that. You see, God is faithful, 1 John 1 and verse 9. I don't have any question whenever I do what God says, what the outcome is. Constant cleansing you do, by the way, because you never know when you're supposed to repent or not. They use also a bait-and-switch tactic. What about these unknown sins? What about this man driving? And brethren, they do not mean that. You say, well, you, how do you know? Well, Matthew, the seventh chapter, we find that we judge by the fruit. You find that here is uh, Guy Woods, and this is a lesson. This man who we're talking about, the only defense I've ever heard or seen is he on his Facebook page, and this was presented to me on this man's Facebook page, he said, people charged me with teaching once saved, always saved. And his defense was, listen to this lesson by Guy Woods, because I gained great comfort from it. Well, Guy Woods says, this is talking about one who wants to go to heaven, who because of our weaknesses, our frailties, our imperfections, our ignorance, and sometimes our stupidity, we make mistakes. It's notable that sin is now called a mistake because of ignorance or stupidity or imperfections or frailties. What sin is that? Any. 
I mean, that, that's what it is. You have this constant cleansing. And Guy Woods, by the way, is the one who said, if you worry about this, you're impugning God because you don't, have, don't trust his constant cleansing. Don't worry. Be happy. You know, the presenter of this lesson also refers to Romans 4, 8, and 8, 1 to emphasize no sin is ever counted against you. Sins of ignorance? No. Remember the illustration? At 20, at 30, at 40, at 60, at 80, you never had a sin count against you. Did that man go through life? The only sin he ever committed was one of ignorance. Well, Romans 8, verse 1. In the first lesson, we noted you can equate the idea, there's no condemnation, who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. That's walking in the light. Same thing, doing what God says. There's no condemnation. Well, that's what God says. Included in that, of course, would be repent and pray that the very thought of your heart might be forgiven. Regarding Romans 4, 8, this sin is not marked up against you. Well, first of all, Romans 4, keeping in context, which this man is not wont to do, but is talking about in Romans, the fourth chapter, as he had begun in chapter 1 through 3, that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Romans 4, Abraham has given an example of justification by faith. And he says, David talks about the blessed man. Does this apply to Abraham? Yes, it does. Okay, who is the blessed man according to David? Because this is a quotation from Psalm 32. Let me read you. And this will show you again a little bit of the distortion. You know, Peter talks about those who twist and distort the scriptures under their own destruction. Blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man unto whom the Lord imputeth not iniquity, in whose spirit there is no guile. Oh, that's me. That's every, every child of God. Read on. When I kept silence, my bones waxed old, through my roaring and all the day long. For day and night, hand was heavy. Thy hand was heavy upon me. My moisture is turned unto the drought of summer. Verse 5. I acknowledge my sin unto thee. Mine iniquity have I not hid. I said, I will confess my transgressions unto the Lord. Thou forgavest the iniquity of my sin. Second law of pardon. For this shall everyone that is godly. Now here's the problem. Some people aren't godly. They don't follow God's will. They don't follow his wish. For this shall everyone that is godly pray unto thee in time when thou mayest be found. Surely in the floods of great waters, they shall not come nigh unto, them, unto him. Psalm 32, Romans 4, 8, is not saying God never accounts any sin unto you. This is saying, just as we noted in the second law of pardon, you go to God, you acknowledge your sin unto him, he is faithful and just to forgive you from all sin. Let me give some real-world examples of the sin. Like I said, they, they go out and they say any sin, but they want to jump back and catch you, hook you with, well, these are unknown sins. These are ones that you commit at the last moment of your life. Let me ask you. Let's suppose a man takes his wife, grabs her by the throat, threatens to kill her. Their little child is, walk, is watching on. He's dragging her across the room, throwing her against the wall. Is he guilty of sin? He said, well, he doesn't have a desire to go to heaven. Well, 
goes and preaches after that. Is he saved or lost? Is that sin counted to him? You see, all unrighteousness would be included in that. Our sins are cleansed. What, what about a man who becomes a Christian? And he sees the beauty of the Lord's church, the wonders of salvation. And he says, here is a man who is a member of the church. And he is wreaking havoc upon it. His teachings, his actions are going to destroy the church. And so he consults another man. And he says, it is it all right if I kill him? If he killed that man, and then somebody shot him, would he have sinned? Would his sin be counted against him? By the way, that question was asked of Jim O'Connor by a Christian in India. Jim, of course, told him, said, no. You know, you love God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. You love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, you know, you don't do that. Even if you didn't know the laws, it says, thou shalt not murder. But would he have been sinning? According to this doctrine, No. And then, of course, you can use the real-life examples of those in the Scriptures where you find, of course, that Peter was a man who sinned. Did he desire to go to heaven? Was he walking in the light? I don't think anybody would deny that. Yet he was guilty of a sin, Galatians 2. What about the man who, in Acts 8, this is a real-world example. He was a Christian. He followed along with those who were teaching. He saw this gift being given. And he, because of, well, it couldn't have been because of weakness or frailty or ignorance or stupidity. I don't know what his sin was. But it wasn't in there or else he'd have been constantly cleansed. And that's why Peter said, repent and pray to God. Was it ignorant what he did? Yeah. Was it stupid what he did? Yeah. Was he frail? New Christian? Yeah. He was also a sinner in need of repentance. Brethren, this idea becomes so convoluted and contrary and, and contradictory, it is just unbelievable. You look and you find, you know, let me, in Galatians, the second chapter in verse 11 through 14, Peter was to be blamed because he was guilty of dissimulation. You know what that is? Hypocrisy. Why would you bring that up, Jack? I had several people tell me last week, really appreciated the lesson. Good lesson. Encouraged me, strengthened me, gave me knowledge, gave me the realization of hope as a Christian. I hope this lesson on con Christian confidence by this man disgust you. Why would I bring up dissimulation? I did not write last week's lesson. I went to great pains. You noticed I did a lot of reading. It is on World Video Bible School as the truth about staying saved. The lesson on constant cleansing, I believe it is called Saved Without Doubt is on World Video Bible School by the same man. Don Blackwell preaches them both. Sadly, I know several preachers who would preach the same thing. It's notable that if you look up the lesson or some similar to it, Saved Without Doubt, 
Don Blackwell preaches this all over the world. I guess it's one of his most popular lessons. You look up truth about staying saved, second law of pardon. I couldn't find a single lesson by him except on World Video Bible School. Why is that? Well, it's going to take some effort. To reach the blood, you need to examine yourself, and you need to have humility to repent and pray, confess your sin. You know what? It feels a lot better to my itching ear to say, you're constantly cleansed. That wiper is going back and forth. Doctrine of faith only is also comforting to many. But just like that, this is false. You know, you look, one man said at the preacher's meeting here, this was discussed, and uh, one man said, I can't understand why we're having to fight against the need to repent of sins since God has clearly taught that. But that's what we're having to do. People say, oh, you don't, no, I understand fully what you're saying. I have not made things up. I've simply quoted what they are saying. You see, God said in 2 Corinthians, the 7th chapter, Paul said, you know, I am glad that I wrote to you and you sorrowed unto repentance. Godly sorrow worketh repentance. Brother, you cannot have godly sorrow if your sins are already forgiven. That is just unbelievable. Another man whom I uh, admire greatly. He said, you know, at times there are some teachings from God that seem hard, maybe even unfair to us. But who am I to tell God he is wrong? Read Romans 9. That's what Paul dealt with. Shall he that is created say unto the one who has created him? You know, over the past 40 years, I preached, as have hundreds of others, in this pulpit. I have heard it. I have preached it. Every time I preach, I give an invitation. The first thing is, if you're not a child of God, like was said in the first lesson, I preached it, this man preached it, you're repenting, you confess, and you're baptized for the remission of sin. If you're a child of God, whenever you have sinned, what do you do? You repent and pray to God that the very thought of your heart might be forgiven. 1 John 1, 7 through 9 commands it, Acts 8 is an example of it. You have that opportunity too. If I were to go by this doctrine, I would have to stand up, unless I myself am a hypocrite, and say, you know, if you want to become a child of God, you repent and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of sin. If you are a child of God and you've sinned, do not worry. God has wiped away your sin. You have constant cleansing. Now, that's what saved always saved. They say, no, they have an out. Well, I'm not teaching what saved always saved. And here is Don Blackwell's, here's where it becomes not what saved always saved. At any time, you can say, I am through with Christianity. According to him, that's the only time that the blood is not cleansing you. Well, a couple of things. Where did you get that? If the blood cleanses us from all sin, 1 John 1 and verse 7, all unrighteousness, 1 John 1 and verse 9, 
ignorance, frailties, stupidity. Where did you get that that is not ignorant, frail, stupid? And where did you get that God can't forgive that if he forgives all iniquity? Well, that's my little stopgap. Oh, no, I'm not teaching you what's saved, always saved. The Baptist will tell you what's saved, always saved. You point out to them, you know, here's a man who was saved through that Calvinistic doctrine. He comes to the point in his life, and he is sinning. <laughs> what happened to him? Oh, he wasn't a Christian in the first place. Rather, you can twist it and distort it. It's Baptist doctrine. It's Calvinistic doctrine. It's false. The first lesson we preached last week, it was his. It's been preached by me. It's been preached by multitudes and will continue to be preached as long as there's an eldership that cares about guiding and guarding the flock and feeding the flock. God gave us that plan, and we're not going to change it. I want to preach the word. Well, is that going to rankle some further? You know, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? The sad answer is yeah. Why? Because I am so caught up in some emotional deal that I cannot understand how I have to repent before I get forgiveness. I don't know what the reasoning these people are. I'm like Paul wrote the Galatians. Who has bewitched you? How can you do that? Why don't you look to the Word? But if somebody refuses to look at the Word, I don't have anything else. I can say, what if you don't obey God? Read Matthew 7, 21. He so I... Oh, I have desired to go to heaven. I did good things. By the way, I didn't believe you needed to repent. I believe your blood was constantly cleansing me. Jesus said, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. You haven't obeyed my Father, which is in heaven. Brother, I'm going to obey God. I'm going to preach the word. So today, if you're not a child of God, you can have salvation through the blood of Christ as you're baptized into Christ for the remission of sins. Acts 2, verse 36 through 47. If you're a child of God and you have sinned, that blood is always available. If you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive your sins. That, brethren, is God is certainty. Why? Because God said it. If you need to obey it, let's do so as we stand and sing the song of invitation.